If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to the Weekly Exchange. This week in Forex and Strategy Game News, we have updates on ISG, Dominus Galaxia, Stellaris, Star Sector, and much, much more. Troy. Hey, Troy. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nate. It's good to be here. How are you tonight? I'm doing okay. How about yourself? Uh, better this week than last week. Uh, got mm. a lot more accomplished, and I'm feeling good about that. And, Excellent. Uh, I, I think this week we got some really good game news, so let's mm. just jump right in and talk about it. Let's. Let's do that. All right. We're going to kick things off with Alliance of the Sacred Suns, and in this dev diary tripped over my words there, Dev Diary, uh, we get an update on what features the developer is currently working on. So he's working on the Pops Opinion Feedback, which is basically, I guess, happiness and like planetary stability. So like how how pleased are your people with your rule as the Space Emperor? Uh, also the character and house AI. And as you remember, uh, Alliance of the Sacred Sons is a grand strategy 4X hybrid game that I think has a lot more in common with like CK2, where you where you have all these houses and things like that um, that have their own political agendas. And as the Space Emperor, you have to manage each house's agenda along with, you know, the needs of the Empire as a whole. And then finally, the the save load system, which I imagine is pretty important to gameplay. So uh, that, that's all really good. And then the developer gives us an update on where he's been for a while. Because it, it's been, you know, it's been a few months since we've been able to give the listeners an update on Alliance of the Sacred Sons. And he goes into a very detailed explanation of kind of about where he's been. And, you know, uh, it, it boils down to this. He, he went on vacation at the beginning of the summer and, you know, that... That took a couple of weeks, and then when he got back, he had some family things to deal with. Nothing really serious, but certainly necessary and time-consuming. And once he got finished with the vacation and the family issues, like his will to work on the game had been sapped. And uh, I, I can relate to that personally in, in, in a way because... Uh, Me too. Me too. Uh, at the beginning of the summer, I took a vacation, went to Canada, and uh, then after that, I, I had some things I had to do back home and, and get that all straightened out, and that took a while, and then I have my own creative endeavors I'm pursuing, and I just didn't feel like working on them. It, it was really tough, and 
anytime you're working on a creative project, the, the best way to work on it is to make it a habit where every day you work on it. And when you get out of that habit, it's very difficult to get back in because it's so easy to fill your time with practically anything else, which can be more rewarding perhaps in the short term than this really long-term project that he's working on. And like, I can completely empathize with what he's going through and I'm glad he's back on it. And I, I do wish him luck in that. And then the last part is the, the financial realities of making Alliance of the Sacred Sons. Uh, he took out a few small loans to pay for the development of the game. And, you know, like any loan, those have to be repaid. And then also the development of the game is going to take a little bit longer. So he's considering alternate forms of funding the game. And, you know, he... He said he wasn't ever going to do a Kickstarter, but now he's considering it. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of different things he can look at there for funding. And he's, I don't think he's made any kind of final decision on it. But I know were he to do a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo, which might even be better because you get the money no matter what, um, we, we would definitely cover it here at Explorminate. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know... Uh, some of the people on staff would, would I'm sure, even uh, support him in that crowdfunding or if he got a Patreon or any of those other means. Um, you know, I know there's people that in our community and our staff that would be glad to support him in this, Other, including those who have, you know, maybe already purchased the game. Uh, we do appreciate the shout out he gave us in his dev diary. That was really awesome. And, uh, you know, with any 4X and particularly grand strategy game. We're going to cover it because this is really what we enjoy. Very true. And now throughout the summer, I've reached out to him a few times. And when I didn't hear back from him, I got a little bit worried. Not worried like so within um, this kind of started from in the thread. People were asking. We have a steam thread on our forums. And I wasn't worried that he did something like, oh, he he abandoned the project and took off i was more worried about it. he just kind of fell off and it was like is everything okay on his end you know because i know he's, he's a single developer working on it now and if something happens in personal life or you know in career or something like that and these projects they very much go by the side because you got other more important things you know it doesn't matter how much you're into a project if you can't pay your bills you're not going to be working on it yeah that's for sure without so doubt. and i'm glad for the update personally oh yeah me too and he ends it with uh you know a, a general call out like if anyone uh read his blog or hears this podcast and has some skill with uh c sharp or or unity or anything like that and would be interested in helping him out with alliance of the sacred sons he, he'd be interested in speaking with you i don't think there's any implicit guarantee with that but you can Contact him um, with an email address at steve at imperia5x.com. And we'll have a link to the dev diary in our show notes. So if that interests you, if you've got some talent or, or you know, you had to program an AI or do art or you're good with user interface or anything, you know, you could always contact Steve and let him know you'd be willing to help out and, and, and inquire about that. And uh, speaking of one-man show game developers we're going to talk about stellar monarch next and of course this is the game by chris cosmic and uh there was a patch version 1.26 released this past week and it's 
pretty much all about the interface. There really isn't too much interesting to talk about here other than the UI just continues to get improvements and that includes uh, you know where the text box goes, where hyperlinks are, tool tips, this sort of thing. Um, reports tabs are going to remember their position, uh, positions better and um, there's going to be names for all fleets because once you got the ability to name all your fleets and things like this, it didn't make sense for some fleets to have names and some not. So now they're all going to have some type of naming convention for the game. So that's pretty much it for Stellar Monarch. Not much else to say other than he's he's doing really well. He's working on it along with uh, Automobile Tycoon. And I think he's also working on... I could be wrong about this. Chris, if I'm wrong about this, correct me in the mm-hmm. comments. But some kind of fantasy game, right? Yeah, yeah. Some type like of RPG like, fantasy or something like yeah, that. Yeah, retro, like retro fantasy RPG thing, which, you know, I mean, he posts uh, screenshots and things like that every now and then, and it looks intriguing. We'll just uh, have to see where it goes from here. So anyway, yeah, he, he's a busy guy. Exactly, and good. I'm glad. I'm glad that he's he's enjoying what he's doing and he's continuing to put out products and trying different things and not like locked into the one oh, i'm only going to do this and nothing else and he's trying you know throwing up darts on the board and seeing what sticks you know or in this case ideas and to see what gets uh, people excited and you know buying and then that kind of gives them i guess a direction to go to continue development um anyways so in another bit of follow-up interstellar space genesis they uh, they did a quick little tiny little update and and they call it the quick update number three by the way and this is about espionage and what they did here so we know that espionage is coming to the game we also know that espionage is going to be a mechanic that's going to be in the game at release not some kind of a module added at a later time which is good and they discussed briefly um, I guess the life of a spy like a named character or a hero. I guess, I suppose. And they're discussing how espionage works. And it's a couple of paragraphs. And basically the gist of it is, is that different leaders will have different skill sets, which is a given when you have leaders or heroes in a 4X game. And some of them might be more, they have a better affinity for espionage because they have certain spy skills. And the system here, the way their promotion works is that if they're successful in their espionage, then they get better at it and they can promote within that. So they might have like a mixed skill set where they can be like a governor and a spy or, you know, an admiral and a scientist. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there. I don't know that that's how it's going to work. I, I haven't seen the game at play, but that's what it's looking like. And it's kind of neat. It's Again, it's really short, so it'll be in the notes. Just click on the link. Check it out if you want to. And the bigger part of the news is that they are saying that the game, for the most part, has all the major systems in. So all game systems are in. I'm sure they'll be adding art, you know, updating the UI and music and whatever else they're going to do. But the features are in. And at this point, what they're going to start doing now is they're going to be improving them, like how they function with each other. They're going to be working on polishing and finding and finalizing the game, so making sure there are no bugs, making sure it's optimized, probably making sure the AI knows how to play the game and gives the gives the you know the human player a good challenge because most 4X games people buy them for the first player experience, not for multiplayer. Now, of course, there are people that like to play multiplayer. Hey, why not? But as a person who likes to play single player, 
I'm not as concerned about multiplayer. You know, I'm not like the syncing issues. That doesn't ever occur to me. So when I see people writing, oh, you know, I'm trying to play with my friends and it keeps crashing. That's never an issue because I don't play these games with my friends. If I'm going to play something, I'll play something else altogether, you know. So that's it. That's just, like I said, a really, really quick little update. And in another quick update, so in the, like I said, throughout the summer, I've been trying to reach out to different developers and just get status updates as to what's going on. You know, hey, we haven't heard from you guys in a while. What's, what's the deal? In a good way. Just to get the community information. And the team working on Dominus Galaxia put up two big posts discussing the state of the game, some of the mechanics. And interestingly enough, right now, they're also working on the espionage mechanics for Dominus Galaxia, which is a Master of Orion 2... Master of Ryan 1, you know, it's it's a spiritual successor. So once the game is out, I hope you do give it a shot because I know your feelings about spiritual successors to the Master of Ryan series. And um, as a positive, one of the community members, Ale, he's working on the AI for this. So you know that this game is going to have a proper AI. And if you're really interested in understanding the mechanics of espionage, we'll have a link in the notes and... These these posts are very very detailed. They describe they from what I can tell they want to actually make another more detailed post or update later that's going to have more information. But again, um, like a main feature is that what happens in the game has an impact on how espionage works. So for example, if you are at war with somebody, then I'm assuming espionage costs would go up because these guys these enemies of yours are more. Uh, prepared for you. They're expecting you to spy on them or try to sabotage or steal technology. So they're going to be on the defensive. Whereas if maybe they'll go down and whatever events are happening, if you're trading with them, if you are, you know, doing all kinds of collaborative work, that's going to have an impact too. And that's, that's good because a lot of times that isn't the case. One aspect of the game is almost completely isolated from another one. So this is especially egregious in civilization games where you have an alliance, like a research alliance or trade alliance with somebody for so many turns, and then it ends, and then all of a sudden they denounce you, declare war on you, and it's like, wait, I thought we were friends. We were helping each other for hundreds of years. What did I do? You know, oh, somebody else didn't like you, so obviously now we're going to pile on and not like you too, you know? And I hope that part of this rework of the mechanisms that a lot of the newer developers are doing is to address issues like that, because that schizophrenic behavior is what really like frustrates me when I play like the Civ games. And that's like, you know, how the joke with Gandhi and the nukes, we know why, but until we knew why, we're like, oh, obviously, you know, this is a Civ game. That's how it is. So again, you know, looking forward to seeing what they're going to develop, seeing more stuff. I know a bunch of the community members are participating with like beta testing, but nobody's really discussing it or talking out loud about it. So, you know, we just, we can just report on what we know about. And then finally... And this is the big chunk. So last week we had Mark as a guest and uh, he started talking about the news. So the Paradox guys are back and they're from their summer vacation. They're preparing for Gamescom. They're working on the Laguna update, which is going to be 2.2. And they started discussing the changes that it's going to undergo. Again, major changes. So hopefully the once they are implemented and they're, you know, this 
update 2.2 is out with whatever else is going to be attached to it. It's going to be working well. It's going to get the players from, you know, version 1.9 looking back and, oh, yeah, Stellaris is amazing again because we have quite a few players that are, I think at this point we can call them legacy players because they have hundreds and hundreds of hours, if not thousands of hours. And, you know, they, they know the game, they knew the game inside out. And when 2.0 dropped and with Distant Worlds, they were very, very unhappy, very like lots of anger. Like, what are they doing? I, I didn't sign up for this. Why, why, why? And I mean, that's the thing with Paradox titles. They support their games for long periods of time. And by long, I don't mean six months. I mean, years. Like Crusader Kings 2, Europa Universalis, They've been out for years and years and just constantly content coming in. The game changes as a result of all of these new mechanics. But people jumping into Stellaris were not maybe familiar with that or they had assumed that that would not be the case. So that's kind of happening now. So anyways, let's talk a little bit about what they're doing. So they're reworking planets. So when I jumped into Stellaris, when I put in the bulk of my time was after 2.0. And the way planets works is you had regions on the planet and then you had stuff like tile blockers and that you had to open up and spend resources. And then depending on what's there, you put a structure to try and utilize the resource. And sometimes there were adjacency bonuses and there's that. But it's really cool when you do it on one planet. It might be even really cool on two planets or three or four. But towards the mid or late game, you had you know, dozens of planets. And each time you take a planet and you see what the AI is doing, you're like, no, no, no. And you got to go back in there and change things up. And then you have weird population movement that's like sometimes doesn't make sense. And then when that happens, the new uh, species that are part of your empire that settled it, they don't like it. So they're unhappy. And it's just like, oh, my God, it was micro micromanagement hell. So they're addressing that with a planetary rework. And a bunch of the things that they're doing makes me think that they looked very, very, very closely at how Galactic Civilizations 3, how the planet is there and how you have the resources and when you put structures on top of them, they utilize it differently than... Because in Stellaris, it was very generic. And in Galactic Civilizations 3, it's very specific. Like, you need the particular resource and here's the resource and here's what you can do and here's the different building options. That kind of feels like they're doing that to a degree, but they're also simplifying it. So you don't have to individually place, you know, okay, I'm putting a factory here or I'm putting a, uh, you know, like a learning facility here or I'm putting some kind of a food resource here. So they're changing that up. Now, another thing they're doing is they're changing how the population works and they're having stuff like districts. And it's different than what they do um, when like when you're breaking up your empire and you're like, okay, I can't manage so many planets. so I'm going to assign a governor to it. So it's going to be a different system than that. But they're going to have stuff like they're going to have city districts, mining districts, agriculture districts, generated districts. And that's how they're going to quantify it on the on the user interface. That's how you can look at it. Okay, you know. Is that like a new sector system then? No, 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 no. The sector system is how they they do um, like how they how you manage planets in your empire. Uh-huh. Whereas the district system is how you do it on a planet. Oh, okay. All right, I got you. So instead, you see what I'm saying. So yeah. instead of going, okay, I'm gonna oh look. At, so I have, let's say, you're on a planet that's a decent planet. So it's like a, a 13 tile planet or something like that, right? So. And you look at it and you optimize it, right? And each time you're going in, you're constantly trying to optimize. You 
have to upgrade all of them. And, oh, I just researched, you know, I just researched uh, mining facility three. Okay, I got to upgrade it across, you know, 40 planets. It gets tedious. Yeah. With this system, they're streamlining it. So if you look in, if you want to know what I'm talking about, assuming I'm assuming most people hearing this would already have seen this, but if you haven't, this will be in the notes, and you can see what it looks like. So it's simplified. It still has a lot of the same information it had before, but it's simplified, and it shows you on where you have different districts on the planet. It sh and my guess is, from what I'm seeing, is that as the world develops, maybe it'll become more developed on the view in the user interface, not from orbit, but like the planetary view, but I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm taking a wild guess here. So I'm probably completely wrong. And if I am sorry, but if not, that's going to be kind of cool. Then they're also dealing about buildings. So I'm, I'm looking at this and like potentially this can remove a crazy amount of micromanagement or if not done right, could leave it, but make it different. But if the AI doesn't know how to use it, like right now in the game, there's constantly issues with the AI does not, like they underdevelop their worlds. Like a human player will go in and do a really good job. So if you turn over your plan, like your plan, your systems or, you know, planets, habitable planets into sectors, the AI does weird stuff with it. And it's like, why, why can't I, you know, it's unoptimized. I'm losing resources or this is a problem. So they're constantly working on it. So my fear is that if they don't focus on the AI, if they don't get the AI to do it, it's going to be the same thing, but now it's going to be in the district system. You know, like the AI is not going to build it correctly. So Yeah, that's a really good point. If the AI, especially since you have to turn over your systems to a, a sector governor, if the right. AI can't do this right, then the changes don't matter. It, it's just right. moving the deck chairs on a, on a sinking ship. Not that Stellaris is sinking, No, no, it, no. it's Far that type of thing. It. Right, and again... We're talking about two different things. Districts and sectors are different things. Sectors is multiple planets. Right, right. But whereas the districts AI... is on a planet. But the AI is the AI. And this has been one of the biggest complaints that I've seen in our community is that the AI is just not keeping up. So, like, every update they do takes the AI several hot fixes later and updates and patches to get the AI to even play the game. People are like, wait a minute, it's not using this. It's not building that. It's not doing this. It's too maybe too many options for the AI because it's incapable of doing it. I, I don't know. I'm not an AI programmer, so I can't speak to that. And I just want to make, I want to do a quick little aside right here. Uh, just as I was reading, um, not reading, but as we were loading this up, I saw the new comment popped up on last week's show, and um, one of the one of the comments basically was talking about Stellaris and about paradox. And I, I don't want to point the finger at anybody, and I don't want to point anybody out. But something, two things got called into question. One thing I will talk about later. I was going to talk about anyways, and this thing about paradox. So to clarify this for this gentleman that made that comment. Up until a few years ago, Paradox was mostly a publisher. They had their in-house guys working on stuff like Crusader Kings 2 or the Crusader series, Europa Universalis, Victoria series, and Rome. And then a couple of other games here and there. But for the most part, that's it. They were just a publisher. In the last year, year and a half, they bought out Triumph Studios. They bought out Hairbrain Schemes, like bottom. So they're theirs now. So that's they're officially Paradox companies, not Paradox is a publisher, but Paradox is the studio or their Paradox Studios, small studios under Paradox, however you want to call it. 
they and they also got the guys that made uh, Surviving Mars, and then they got the guys that made um, City Skylines. So that's f- I mean I'm sure I'm missing somebody. I'm pretty sure there's one more, but that's four studios. The Paradox has bought. So and and Hegemon um, Games. That's Airbrain Schemes. That's BattleTech. So that's a game. That's not. They're not publishers. That's their game now. Age of Wonders Planfall is their game. Oh, that's what I'm missing. Hearts of Iron. So I don't know if Hearts of. I think Hearts of Iron was always a Paradox title, right? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, pretty but sure. So that's another. So that's another game that they're bringing. So that's five games that they're publishing. And just as a response to the person who made that comment, uh, be they a publisher or not, that's five titles that they're making, and they picked up four more. Plus, at various times, they had other ones. So, yeah, I'm sorry, but they're they're a development studio. They're not just a publisher. And when they tell them, hey, we're, you, you're going to be doing it like this or you, we want to see it like that, they're going to do it. Because guess what? Paradox is their parent. That's their company. The same way that when 2K tells Firaxis, hey, we need you to add this. Or Take-Two tells 2K, hey, when you're releasing these games, like the sports games or whatever, you need to do this. They're going to do it because they belong to them. So that's one. And then I'll address something else that that, that person said, that gentleman said at a later time. But this, I just, this kind of like, I, I was looking for an opportunity to say it and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm talking about Solar, so I might as well say it. So, all right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Star Sector? All right. So strap in everyone. This is going to be a long update. Uh, Alex from Star Sector gave us a pretty lengthy dev diary this week on raids, bombardment, and planetary defenses. So the the first third of this update, let's say, is essentially Alex's thought process in adding raids to the game. And it kind of mirrors, in a certain way, uh, a debate that's been happening in the Endless Space 2 thread in our Steam forum. Uh... Alex went down a path first with what would be the interesting tactical options for running a raid. So you'd have to assign ships, space marines, and then you'd need tactics, you know, in this sort of thing. And he got to thinking, you know, this, this really isn't fun. This is more like micromanagement and puzzle solving and that sort of thing. And that's not really what I want. So instead what I, instead of, he, he puts it like this, instead of asking how should I run a raid he wants the players asking when and why should i run a raid so raids are going to be abstracted quite a bit in this game basically you'll have an option pop up on your user interface would you like to run a raid yes or no and then you can run a raid and uh you know your raid will be more successful the more space marines and that sort of thing that you have and it's not you're not going to choose like i want to devote 300 marines or a thousand marines to this operation or whatever you you just have marines and the more the better it's never about the number so that that that's kind of interesting where you know what planet you're going to strike what your objective of the of the raid will be uh when you're going to risk a raid and then like why are you doing it what sort of thing are you hoping to get out of it are more interesting strategic questions than Okay, uh, I'm going to have my Marines land uh, at night. We're going to use night vision and and special ops to do whatever. So I I thought that was a bit interesting to get into his mindset for this. So when you initiate a raid in the game, planets are going to have various levels of defenses. 
Okay, so if like they've got a space station around floating around their planet, you're not going to be able to raid because it's got a defensive system. So you're going to have to get past that. And then you're going to have ground defenses and things like that to, uh, you know, guard the planet. And you're going to have to get through that. And, and again, it's not a tactical decision. Either your ships and your Marines can get through the defenses or they can't. And your raid effectiveness is going to have um, a result somewhere between 0 and 100%. And that's how much you're going to be able to successfully complete your goal. And so let's talk about the goals for a raid. One thing you can do is raid for valuables. Basically, you're going to go in with your space marines, uh, break into a research facility or production facility or something like that, and you're going to steal stuff. Usually resources, but also perhaps blueprints for a ship or the, that sort of thing. Technology. Okay, so you're, you're going in, grabbing something that you need, and getting out. You can also raid to disrupt operations, and essentially what you're doing there, this is a sabotage mission. So you're going to blow up an industry, or you're going to blow up a research facility, or, or something like that, and it's going to be put out of commission for a good while. And the reason you might want to do this is part of the game is about trade and economy. So if you're the only supplier for a particular resource, you'll be able to charge more for that resource. The idea is if you and a couple other uh, factions in the game are both supplying the resource, you can order these raids against your rivals, knock out their production of the resource, and then be able to jack up the prices on yours and reap a nice profit off that. So there's the why. Interesting. Uh, it does safeguard against abuse or at least he's trying to um for instance uh you know the layered defenses makes it difficult and potentially costly because you can lose your ships and marines also there's a limit on like repeatedly raiding a planet so if you raid a planet you're going to degrade their their defenses perhaps but immediately after a raid the planet is going to be on high alert so if you were to immediately raid again they're going to be ready for your raids. So that makes it tougher. Then also, it takes time to successfully plan a raid. You can't just run the same play in the playbook immediately after. Your commanders and your spies have to take a look at the situation, analyze new intelligence, and plan a raid. So uh, you, there's a essentially what it boils down to is a cooldown on the raid. You just can't do a raid when, okay do it again, then do it again, do it again, all in the same turn. Like, it takes time to get the intelligence and figure things out. Speaking of that sort of thing, you can also bombard a uh, a planet, and there's two different kinds, tactical and saturation. Tactical is where you only target your enemy's military installations, which reduces the planet's um, defenses. And then you can saturation bomb, a planet where you're just destroying everything and the goal of that eventually would be according to the dev here is just to drive the planet into total anarchy where government civilization breaks down completely and then you can just move in and colonize the planet as if it were an independent planet with um, a more primitive civilization on it that you could just conquer and take over. Yeah, so you're basically forcing a revolt. Yeah, and well, you, a, a revolt with a, a total social breakdown. It's not like 
a collapse, revolution. A governmental collapse. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a revolution where there's going to be a new government put in place. Mm -hmm. Well, well, technically, there's going to be a new government put in place. It'll be yours. <laughs> exactly. But you, you, what you're doing is, is you're turning the citizenry against the leadership through the destruction of potential infrastructure, society, however it is that you're doing, you're basically causing them to go, you know, throw off the yoke of whoever was there before. And then in turn, you're like, well, we'll be much better to you. Or you move in and you're like, no, now we're going to conquer you because you can't put up any fight. Exactly. And it mm -hmm. looks like next on the list of uh, development items will be invasions. It's not going to be in this next update for Star Sector, but it is the next thing that they're working on. And, uh, you know, according to them, that should be the last major feature for the 0.9a release. So uh, Star Sector is making uh, quite good progress, I would have to say. Yeah, and there's definitely excitement in the greater community from time to time people just jump in they're like oh this is really cool we really like where this is going so what i'm interested in is to see like i'm gonna see if i can get oliver to look this stuff over because yeah. he's been very much a naysayer of late he's very unhappy <laughs> with the no, state no, no, of forest no, no. let's not no, say no. he's a naysayer hold on it's hold just, on i, I, I didn't think finish. he has like higher expectations and i, I don't I, have a problem with I, that. I did not finish. Let me finish, and then you tell me if what I'm saying is right or not. When I said a naysayer, I don't mean like in a negative way. I mean in a way that he had certain expectations for this generation of 4X games, and the games, none of them are meeting those expectations. And so what does he do? Does he walk around saying, ah, oh, 4X is garbage. Ah, oh, it's throwaway. No. He's looking at individual games, and he's picking out which mechanics he likes and which ones he doesn't. And he's like, well, if I was doing it, this is how I would do it or this is how I would change it. So he's actually almost like making design documents on how to improve individual games. So a naysayer in a sense that he might not be happy with what they're doing versus what they had promised. But in reality, he's also giving feedback. Now, unfortunately, a lot of developers would never see it. So in the case of his feedback on Endless Space 2, I try to, as much as I can, to direct their eyes to it or their ears when they listen to the podcast and things like that. But no, not an naysayer. I mean, I agree with a lot of the stuff he writes. The difference is, it was a very interesting point that was brought up, and this is as good a point as any to talk about. So... Um, our original Ben, who goes by Warmack Blue, that left many years ago, and he, now he's becoming more active, and he's uh, co-streaming with Dallin a couple, you know, at least once a week. They try sometimes more. Uh, we're looking, and last week we we're talking about we're looking at Discord, we're looking at Stitcher, we're looking at all kinds of things, and we're gonna we're looking at these various other outlets for our um, information or to communicate with the community, but. Um, what he said is something very interesting, and I happen to agree with him. So when Oliver was throughout the week, it wasn't just him. It was a bunch of people with just all kinds of interesting conversations. Really, like, I, I don't even want to participate. I'd rather just sit back and read what they write. Even oh, though man, I'm like, when I go to work, I come home, there's 30 new posts in the thread, right? and I'm like, oh, right? man. <laughs> And then you read them and you're like, damn, this is good. This is like, this is how you design a game. But here's the catch. You can make incredible design documents. It's all about implementation. And then you need the money. And then even if you and make the technical most... technical know-how. We're assuming that the money is it, 
you spend the money and the technical know-how comes from people you hire to do it. <laughs> so what, what, what I'm getting at is that the game that he wants to play, though, might be an amazing game and 30 of us on Explominate would be blown away by. What about the other thousands of people? There, We've had examples of games that had that level of, not polished, that's the wrong word, had that level of strategy to them or, or gameplay to them. So one example of that would be Star Ruler 2. Another example to that would be Pandora, Wrath of the Nashira with Ailes AI mods. And people, the community that has no idea about any of this stuff, hated them because this is too hard. This is too weird. The AI is cheating. Why is it cheating? I don't know, but it beats me no matter what I do. So obviously it has to be cheating. So people don't even realize that the AI is not cheating. It's just actually trying to play the game. And they're not happy. They don't want a strong AI. They don't want to play a computer opponent that will beat them most of the time. They don't want to play with mechanics that are weird. Like Star Ruler 2 is a fantastic diplomacy system. Probably the best one I've ever seen in a 4X. And, and nobody, like people get thrown off by other aspects of the game or even how they manage planets and how they manage production or even how combat work. There's just so many good ideas. But when the run-of-the-mill player sees them, they're, they're thrown in. They're not interested in it. So what Ben said, he's like, look, I'm at a point in my life that I come home. I want to play a video game for my spare time, you know, for my uh, relaxation, for my hobby or fun. I want to play a video game. But I don't want to play a video game that I have to work as hard to succeed at that I do at my job when I'm at work. That's the gist of it. That's at least what I read from it. I mean, maybe yeah, I'm getting I, I read it. about the same thing. It's like some of right? us are just casual people just looking for an immersive experience, not a hardcore strategy but game. So that's what Endless Legend and Endless Space 2 give, whereas Stellaris might not, or Galsif 3 might not, or Age of Wonders does not, you know? Age of Wonders 3 definitely does not. You got to be fully engaged in that. So, and that's the thing. And, and then, and that's, you know, the, first of all, that's the thing. And then, that's a great point. And I think, ultimately, that's what publishers or developers or i mean studios or developers that's what they are looking at is they're thinking like look we're trying to get the maximum audience we're trying to get maximum exposure and how do we achieve that how do we get our game so in the case of stellaris where there was pent-up demand like nobody's business you know everybody has been wanting paradox to do a grand strategy in space it would be so amazing now is stellaris a grand strategy game I don't think so. Not it has elements of it. For the most part, it's really a 4x game. But and and so as they're changing it and making it maybe more grand strategy, I'm seeing a lot of people that have been playing it unhappy about that. But that's a different story. And then you have like like the total war games. So for a while now, the various total war games, the the fan feedback, the the sales have been dropping and then they released total war warhammer and everybody's like oh my god we've been dying we've, we've said that warhammer and total war would be so good and then they fixed issues in total war warhammer 2 and now they're working on three probably and <clears throat> excuse me so here's all the stuff that they're doing and people are happy because of that but when they but like they release civ 6 right and it's selling well and it has an established fan base, but new players, I, I don't know. I, I don't see a lot of new players jumping on it. I'm not seeing, like, lots of articles being written everywhere about it, you know? So that that's kind of, you know, that's that's the question. So Star Sector, 
Looks to be a fantastic game. Looks to have a lot of these mechanics. I know it has a lot of support. I follow their Twitter. I see a lot of interesting stuff. But at the end of the day, is this game going to appeal to a mass market? And I don't know. And I well, can't make a prediction. That that's that's kind of the beauty of uh, the the indie developers is they can target a smaller market like Amplitude, Paradox, Firaxis, um, Stardock. Stardock. They've got to make games that are more mass market because their businesses are large and they need to attract a large number of players to sustain those businesses. But smaller development studios can afford talk to target a smaller sliver of the market that's going to be more dedicated. So I, th I think that's why you need both large companies and small companies in the game. They both have a role to play. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking of smaller games that are having a, a wide appeal, this week there was no official update for Gladius, but there was an unofficial one that turns out that the gentleman we've been speaking about, Ale, who did... Um, worked on the AI on his own time to improve it for Pandora Wrath of the Nishir, which is from the same studio, Proxy Studios, that's working on Gladius, is in talks to help them out with the AI for Gladius. And that, of course, got a whole lot of people super excited. I don't know if I'm super excited because I played his Pandora <laughs> AI, and it was, it, was, uh, it was a mean AI, not because it cheated, but because it actually played the game, and I realized I'm maybe not as good as I thought I was. You know, maybe I was playing substandard AI. But anyways, having said that, it was still fun for the most part, and the main, my main issue with the Pandora games were the diplomacy, like that civ-like diplomacy. Well, thankfully in Gladius, there is no diplomacy, so that's something you don't have to worry about. You see another, you see another um, faction, you go, you go out and kill them because they're going to definitely try to kill you. So maybe it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. So he's, uh, in, again, he's in talks. It'll be a link in the notes to that mention, but he's in talks to help out with the AI, and there's quite a bit of excitement. Now, I would be really excited if he got paid. Probably yeah. not as excited, not as excited as him. I'm sure he'll be way more excited if he got paid. So to let Proxy got the Proxy Studios know, like you know, you know, kick some money down his way. He's gonna do a crazy job, and maybe, maybe have like a a split off branch, call it like the Ale AI, the Killer AI branch. So the people that are just buying the game and just playing it, they don't have to deal with that. But the fans, the hardcore fans who want it, they know that there's a separate branch where, you know, this is Steam, so they can click download the separate branch and have this Killer AI in there. So maybe something to consider. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. That's pretty cool. Cool for the community, awesome for him, great for them. Now let's get that money rolling, and I think everybody will be even happier. All right, so let's talk about Age of Wonders Planetfall for just a little bit. Uh, this week we got an update on what he calls the NPC factions. I'm going to infer that these are the minor factions, not um, the factions that you could play but aren't playing. And so I'll just run through these real quick. First, you got the spacers, and these are basically mutated humans that played way too many VR games when they were young. Paragons, which are the former governing and elite classes. So interesting thing here with the spacers and paragons is you've almost got like the uh, LOI and Morlock races from the Time Machine novel by H.G. Wells. So that that's what it reminded me quite a bit of when I was reading over this dev diary. Uh, the growth, which are intelligent plants that want to live in harmony with everyone. 
automatons, which are robots, which is always my favorite faction. Psyfish, I mean, that, that's the name of it now. I'm really hoping he changes that later on. Uh, which are mysterious floating aliens that have become more prevalent after the collapse. So, Psyfish, which is an awful name. And then Marauders, which is just, you know, the monsters and pirates and things that go around killing people and taking their stuff. So, uh, when you run into one of these factions, you're going to be presented with a quest. And you can follow the quest and try to get them on your side through the quest. Or you can just attack them and that sort of thing. It reminds me so much, Nate, of how miners work in Endless Legend, right? You you happen on a miner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. you you get a quest, and you can, you know, follow the quest through, and then they become your buddies, or you can just attack them. Um, and if you attack one, you you ruin your reputation with all the others. It, it's the same way with uh, Planetfall here. So. Well, that's that's kind of how it also was in, um, in Age of Wonders 3. So when you conquer... So you had, like, these independent cities. And based on how you dealt with the independent cities, and there was a... If I, I remember, I remember this. There was a way where you could purge the people that were the denizens of this city, or not even independent, like when you captured a city from somebody. Yeah, even like, regular... Like, yeah, so you could purge that... Right, so you could purge that city and replace it with your own population of whatever faction you were playing. But as a... As, as you know, as a result of that, all other factions in the game, if you're playing with like, you know, a whole bunch of factions, let's say you were playing as the, uh, I don't know, some elf faction and you purged some kind of uh, dwarf or something like that, I don't know, or, or purged the halflings or something. So all other halflings on the map from then on are like, oh, that's the guy. He genocided us. So you, you have negative relations with him forever. Or if you absorb the faction and you were good to them then you have positive relations because oh he treats us fair like an orc faction or something i don't know some something like that you know yeah so this is it's not exactly a new mechanic it's just being updated i think for planet fall mm -hmm. uh sector claims are going to be in the game so this has become kind of a new uh mechanic we've seen in, in some recent designs where you say hey this piece of land that i haven't developed yet that's mine don't mess with it and uh, the NPC factions can do that, too, and then you can fight them over it and that sort of thing. Um, the NPC factions will also make demands of you from time to time, and those demands will escalate. So I guess it's kind of pushing you towards conflict with them. And, um, you know, the, the NPCs can also uh, attack you and make war and do this sort of thing. And one of the really cool things, though, that uh, about this is if, like, you're expanding your city, right, and... Um, you're, well, the zone of control of your city, you're expanding that out. And let's say that eventually uh, envelops, like, one of the dwellings of one of the NPC factions. Well, you can start building their units now. Once you take control of their dwelling, it's within your city zone of control. You can start building their units. So, like, if you're playing a fleshy faction and you take over the robots, you can start building robot units if you want. So, that, I think, is, is pretty cool that... You know, you're going to have your whatever standard units are for your faction, but that's not all you're ever going to have. You'll be able to to conquer these other NPCs or, or befriend them and envelop them and get to build their units too. And, like, they're going to have at least five units each, including a Tier 4 unit. So it's not like it's just a, a little bit of icing on the cake. They're, they're actually, like, the, that's a real tangible thing you're going to get to play with. So 
Absolutely. I, I like Absolutely. that. I think that's yep. pretty cool. And again, this is a mechanic that had an Age of Wonders 3 mm-hmm. where you take an independent city and if it's a different uh, race than your starting race, you could start building those units. Or, for example, uh, there are certain independent cities that um, did not exist in the game. So if you take like the Dragon City, that's that's how you make dragons in that game. Yes, I remember you uh, trying to conquer all the dragon cities. And yeah, because like, then, be able to build all the different dragons. I remember yep, when you were and, trying that. Yep, yep. And then when you like when you get when they start to level up in experience, they become so incredibly powerful. So this it looks like an upgrade from that because in in Age of Wonders three you had to conquer them. Or, or get them to join you. Whereas here is if you just envelop them, you start building it. So they're improving on mechanics. I mean, I I'm, I kid you not. With every update they put out, I'm getting... I have not felt excitement for a 4X game like this in a very, very long time. The, I'm, I'm genuinely more excited for this than I ever was for Stellaris. And I was excited for what Stellaris. What about Endless Space 2? <sighs> it's, it's hard to say. Because, you see, no, I, it's not hard to say. It's easy to say. Since I'm part of the VIP program, I, I can't give an honest answer because I'm, I'm an insider. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I got oh, so to this know... anticipation is a little bit different since... This, yeah, this is this you, anticipation. Yeah, you don't really know what it's like. I don't know. I'm not going to be part of the beta. I'm not going to sign up for the beta. I know Oliver really wants to do that. So by all means, you take it. I mean, his first article for Exploraminate was for Age of Wonders 3. If I, I think it was, yeah, I'm like 90% certain it was Age of Wonders 3. So, anyways, so and there's a couple other guys in the in the team that really want to. So, yeah, you guys jump, you do it, no problem. I'm just, I'm very much anticipating it, and I'm, I have, I hope I'm not going to ruin the experience for myself because thinking it's going to be much more than it is. But having spoken to Leonard Sass, having spoken to the various developers there, uh, be it on Steam or Twitter or whatnot, and in our forums, I can honestly tell you that they're, they're an upstanding group, and I trust them, and I know it's going to be something special, so it might it might be something else altogether. And I think with that, I think with that we, we're finally moving out of space, and we're moving out of future or, yeah, you know, Yeah, that fantasy. was a lot I mean, of space and sci-fi. Oh yeah, right, right. Yeah, we're, so, wow. Finally, woo! The sci-fi. Yeah, I didn't even I, when I was looking over the lineup. I didn't realize it was going to be that much uh, science fiction. Wow. Okay. Right. So All anyway, right. yeah, let's talk about Aggressor's Ancient Rome, which is like the only uh, like game we're going to talk about this week that isn't science fiction. Um, so anyway, this week uh, their dev diary focused on cities, and the the developers for this game, uh, the you know Danielle that that. Uh, posted this one it's talking about how micromanagement is such a pain in 4x games and you know especially if you have larger maps and you got lots of cities and you've got the build queue you got to do on every city and you know i think even in space games personally i think it's worse when you have to like do all these massive build queues but still the same thing applies well aggressors ancient rome is really streamlining this so um when it comes to your city Basically, you can improve its military infrastructure, economic infrastructure, political, cultural, and then, well, what we would probably just call regular infrastructure. So, like, by building, like, uh, hospitals and sewer systems and things like that. So, essentially, you're going to make it easier to protect a city and build military units or improve the amount of 
taxes you get from it or in, increase your political influence um, or your research and then finally increase population. So it's actually pretty simplified. And each city is only going to be able to construct 16 city improvements throughout the game. It has a tech tree very similar to a Civ game. Okay, and if you've ever played a Civ game, you know when you start at the very beginning, you're you're building your your granaries and your very basic things, and then all throughout the game, up through you know the information age or whatever comes at the end, it, you're constantly getting new buildings, and every city needs all these new buildings. Well, the sixteen buildings are spread throughout the tech tree in aggressors ancient rome so you're not getting a whole bunch at once so it's not that much to manage and then also you're going to be able to specialize cities in just one of three areas so you're not having to constantly be managing like checking every city every turn or or you know clicking on all these notifications at the end of every turn making sure that you you've got you know your your latest building that you just researched going in every city that can build it it's much more streamlined which is greatly appreciated because it puts the focus more on actually playing the game than just managing the game uh, another thing they talk about, which I think I mentioned in, in a past episode because I, I played this game recently, is connecting m- mines and other resources to cities by road improves the amount of resources you're going to get. And there's two different types of roads, dirt roads and paved roads and things like that. So um, it, it is, I mean, I think you remember, Nate, like Civ mm-hmm. 1, 2, and 3... Mm-hmm. I want to say we're really bad about how you wanted to irrigate every single piece of land and build a four, road. Four two, Civ four was also yeah. Civ four, yeah, Civ four was like that also. I don't basically, I don't basically if you automated bad because like Civ three, you also had like the uh, radar towers you could build. Yep, um, that were like a a tile improvement, and so you'd want the like all your borders ringed with radar towers so like you had a chance to spot stealth bombers when they were coming in so that like civ 3 was the worst for me it was the worst about that now aggressors is kind of like that too you're gonna you're gonna irrigate a lot you're gonna build a lot of roads you're gonna build a lot build a lot of mines i don't think it's as bad as like civ 3 perhaps more like civ 4 uh so so your your workers and well they're actually settler units that do this so like the worker unit and the settler unit have been kind of mashed together which is just fine um, if I'm recalling that correctly, uh, it, you know, that, that, that's good. That's good. So you are going to have some micro, but I mean, like once you have a tile improved it it's done and you know, uh, the game is just about to launch. It, it's going to be coming out here real soon. And I think people who get this game will probably be pleased with it. Like the time I played it, like I haven't played it in a, in a little while, a couple weeks. Um, I really enjoyed it. I think it's definitely a solid 4X title. Uh, the the user interface is is a bit much to take in all at once, but I think what, if a, per, a person gives it a, a fair chance, they'll learn it, and it, it's really not too bad. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to Aggressors. Definitely a solid title that's coming out soon. Yep, and the reason... So just to go back to a point you said earlier about just being too aggressive with that what happened with the tiles in the Civ games. It was the AI. It was the workers in the AI. When you set them on automatic, they would just yeah. go and start. It's If you didn't do anything with them, if you just deleted them, then it was fine. 
But if you set it to automatic, then they would go and they would just start constantly. Basically, they're not terraforming, but essentially that's what they're doing. And every age, the emphasis changes. So like in the earlier periods of the game, you needed more farmland. And in the later periods of the game, you needed roads. But then once you discovered railroads, everything, oh my God, the whole landscape was one giant railroad. <laughs> yeah. And then and then the the towers, because you needed to detect uh, stealth units or things like that, or get a advanced warning that, you know, somebody's coming because, you know, it's a Civ game. So obviously it's only about war. There's nothing else but war there. So yeah, I know I know what you're talking about. And they, they did a good job when they hit five and definitely in six, it's much better. So I think they got, they got it to the right point now. I like what they did with the workers in six, but that's a whole other story. So, all right. In this week's What Is, we're going to talk about a game called Astro Base Command. Now, this game is interesting for various reasons because I think maybe six months ago, eight months ago, uh, Mark, uh, one of our YouTubers, one of our primary YouTubers, one of our two primary YouTubers, he told me, hey, Nate, I really want to check out RimWorld. That's, or maybe it was a year ago, somewhere about there. I want to check out RimWorld. I heard some interesting things about it. So I got him a key and he's like, wow, he did a let's play for it. Really got into it. Well, Astrobase Command, when I look, when I read up about Astrobase Command, it was brought to my attention on Twitter by one of the one of the studios that I follow and they're like, "Hey, check this out." And I looked at it and it's it's neat. To me, it's like a mixture of one of those like RimWorld time games or not not Dwarf Fortress, but um Oh, we did we did another space game. One somebody else did a space game for us. That's also kind of like this, and this is also elements of uh, surviving Mars too. So, but anyways, this is about a space station that's somewhere abandoned in the universe, and you have to build it up. So it's kind of like Babylon Five, Deep Space Nine kind of thing, and mixture of the Sims, and so it's kind of yeah, yeah, it's it's neat. I like it. Uh, they're going right now. They're going through their early access. They're not early access, but pre-early access. They're selling. They're trying to pre-sell copies, and you know, not quite Kickstarter, not quite Indiegogo, but on their website, on the link, you'll see like the various tiers and things like that. And this is this is fun. This is um, the way they describe it: is base management and crew life simulation. <laughs> cruel so, life not cruel <laughs> life crew life simulation oh crew life i thought you said cruel life <laughs> oh it's i th i think you're falling asleep man who wants to who wants to simulate that life's hard enough as it is well isn't that what the sims is yeah isn't point. that cruel life yeah. simulation because real life does not work like that so you know people <laughs> that play the sims they're like why can't my life be like this game it's like you don't want your life like that game but anyway so Check it out. Give it a look. Um, it's a little bit out of our wheelhouse, but you know what? Everybody needs a break. Everybody needs to live that second life. Why not live it on a station far, far away, right? Yeah. So, okay. So for this week's interesting news that are game-related but not about our particular genre, let's talk a little bit about plagiarism. So... Before I tell you this new story, and I'm sure if you're listening, you probably already know what I'm going to go about. Explorminate early on had an issue with plagiarism. No, we did not plagiarize anybody's work. We did not take credit for something we didn't do. 
We didn't do anything like that. It was this uh, possibly high school kid out of Russia was grabbing our reviews, running them through Google Translate, and posting it up on his own site. So this was asking our permission. Without asking permission. Here's the thing. Here's the kicker. If somebody wants to repost our reviews, just ask us. Yeah, of course. If you want to take parts of our review and say, hey, Exploraminate said this or did that, just just give the author the road with credit, you know, link to the website so they know where it came from and go ahead. You know, we're not we're not making money on this part of it. We're not. This is you know, we're not. Oh, uh, 50 people clicked on it or a thousand people read it or we got so many. So it's money for the person who wrote it. We don't do it like that. So if if it gets us more exposure or the game that we're covering, please go ahead. Just cite the source, cite the material. Well, the news item is actually about a game called Dead Cells, which is another game that Mark was interested about. And he put up uh, like an impression video. So we'll have a link for that in the notes in case you're interested in what he thought about it. And this is... uh, a side-scrolling Metroidvania with, um, if you don't know what that is, it's uh, it's one of these old-styled games where you're moving up on levels and you're, you know, it's a 2D game and you have all kinds of skills that you open up through the game. So, my favorite games of this genre were stuff like Ghosts and Goblins and Ghosts and Ghouls. Those are the ones that I liked. But I never really got into Castlevania or just just dozens of them. Hun- dozens. Well, who am I kidding? There's hundreds of them. Anyways. Yeah. So. A writer for IGN, which is a major news source, plagiarized from a YouTube video, and they like made their own YouTube review that was almost step-for-step plagiarism of this small site, or relatively, I mean, bigger than us, but a relatively small site compared, especially compared to IGN. And that uh, website, like that uh, YouTube site, put up a video comparison, and then. You know, more stuff was unearthed that this writer has been plagiarizing all these other places and sometimes even plagiarizing other people working at IGN. And to me, that's like that's that that's that's a shame, you know, because if you're on a deadline that you have like we get deadlines, too, you know, and we are way behind on like six different reviews, which will all be caught up in the next couple of months. hundred percent that will be done and they will be caught up and they will be good. And, you know, that happens. But. Over there, you know, there's money. There's money, lots of money involved. So people are under this pressure. Now, I don't excuse his behavior. His behavior is garbage. But plagiarism happens, and it happens often. And it really sucks that it's happening in our gaming culture because it just makes us look foolish, you know? Yeah, definitely, without doubt. And then, okay, so back to the comment from earlier when I was talking about Paradox. Somebody also made a comment about these ending tail-end pieces that I've been doing about Steam for a while and I, I have to clarify something the reason i talk about steam and i don't disparage origin or i don't disparage battlenet or i don't disparage you know ubisoft's uh what, what is their system called you don't play you don't play right <laughs> i don't disparage windows live that doesn't exist anymore or whatever else is because i happen to be on steam now the reason i'm on steam is because they have the better system they are better. I like Steam better than good old games. Even though good old games might give me a better value proposition, Steam is a better system. It gives us all this interactivity and all this connectivity. What I, The reason I talk about it is because I want to bring attention to issues that I have with Steam. Not, in, not because I want t- people to be mad. Oh, let's get the torches. No, but if people talk and people have a discourse and people have conversation, then 
it shows Valve that the community cares and maybe they'll do something about it. So that's one of the reasons why I keep mentioning it because it's like, if you don't mention it, you just pretend that's not the issue, then they keep doing the stuff they've been doing, which is where we're at now. So, all right, I wanted to clarify that. And then, the, and then one more thing. There was a very interesting comment. So last week's conversation and something that you had mentioned that what would happen if Discord and good old or GOG get together and become one service, that it would be a competition for Steam. It would be very interesting. And since then... Discord is like, well, we're going to be, you know, we know this. This has been ongoing for a couple of weeks. We're going to be a platform to compete with Valve, and we're going to have our own version of Steam. Well, this week, at least initially, it was reported that Valve had a service that they're going to use to compete with Twitch. So they already kind of have something in place like that where you can stream on YouTube. Not Valve, but I mean YouTube has something like that. So now Valve wants to get into that. So you can actually, within Steam, you can do that where like your friends can come and watch you play and you can like do broadcasts, doing special events. But for the most part, you can't really do that. So they were, this, this got on Earth or somebody got access to it and saw it and immediately news items started jumping up. And this was going to be like, come on, Valve, before you jump into that arena, handle which, what's in front of you. Fix Steam now and then go ahead and do it. But actually, this was something else they were working on, like a broadcast channel that they could do for some of their bigger tournaments, probably for Dota or some other game that they're going to, you know, some championship, something, you know, esports. But it's, it brings up an interesting point that if Valve does do this in a, some point in the future and starts pressuring Twitch... Will other companies realize that Valve is not as indestructible as it appears? And will they start putting pressure on Valve? Because already we spoke about Bethesda not wanting to release their card game, you know, their, uh, uh, what was it called? Um, I want to say Forgotten Realms, but that's no, something else. Uh, Elder Scrolls. The Elder Scrolls. Yeah, no, no, the Elder Scrolls card game. But they're not going to put it because they need to have cross-platform or whatever. They don't want it. But the point is, is like, if you're going to have all these other services starting to put pressure on Valve, is Valve going to be forced to improve? That's kind of the point of this, is to get people thinking about that a little bit. Maybe they know somebody somewhere. Maybe they can make a comment somewhere, an informed comment. It's not because I'm just like, I'm bored and I just want to beat up on Valve. Oh man, the politics in the U.S. are crazy. So let's just beat up on Valve because it feels good instead of be the politics. Or maybe you know sports. My sports team isn't doing good or something like that. You know that's not what it's about. It's not like I have a personal agenda. I, again, something I wanted to clarify. And moving away from that altogether, just to say I love Steam. I'm not leaving Steam. I wish it was better, but I, I'm not leaving. And moving away, we did a giveaway and this past week for a couple of keys for Endless Legend Inferno and Endless Space 2 Supremacy. And of the four winners, three of them got in touch with me in time to collect their keys. And one of them didn't. I don't know, maybe it's somebody who doesn't know how the process goes, even though I tried to link all the information. So we ran uh, with the runner-ups and I made it like, okay, here's three guys, whichever one, or three girls, or three players, whichever one of them gets in touch with me first, gets the key, somebody did. And that's it. So I think that's how I'm going to do it moving forward. Have a couple of runner-ups for each key, and whichever one of them gets in touch first gets to keep it. So, you know, what do you yeah. think? Oh, I like that. I like how that works. Now, I guess it does kind of advantage uh, people in our time zones, but what are you going to do, right? 
I mean, we gotta we gotta post it at some point. So yeah, and it's not um, like I'm gonna stay up an extra ten hours just so give no. a fair chance to somebody ten time zones away. You know, we right, do the exactly. best we can. This isn't like a flash sale for two minutes. And this was <laughs> right. posted on a Monday. Results uh, posted on a Monday. Results were put up on a Friday. Right, so it's insanely easy to check. And then they had another 48 hours. Back in the past, it was like, here's 12 hours to get in touch with us. And here's six hours to collect your key. Now it's like a week and four days, three days, two days. So it's enough time. And we do enough giveaways that if you miss it here, there's always a chance you can get it somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so let's talk about games we're playing. What did you play this week? So I have I had an issue. So remember last week I was talking about I'm going to do something with At The Gates? Yeah. So I had an issue with at the gates like it wasn't an issue that the game didn't work per se but it was a resolution issue oh okay yeah i ran into that too like where it's in windowed mode and yeah you can't you, you can't, can't go full screen like yeah. i couldn't get it to go full screen either and what happened is is that i can either i, I hate using the trackpad on my laptop i just hate mm -hmm. it so i use a mouse but as I was trying to do stuff, I couldn't do stuff in the windowed mode because as I was trying to drag like the map to see something, it would leave the windowed mode and go on my desktop and that's it. So I'd like to have to re-enter the game and I, and I couldn't proceed with it. So I told John about it, John Schaefer. I messaged him and I'm like, hey, I'm having decisions. Like, yeah, I've had a couple of people reported. We're going to address this as soon as possible. It's just there's some we're trying to figure out what's happening. It's a code thing. It's like it's hard when you are, you're employing people that are the coders and you can't get in touch with them because it's a weekend or because it's a holiday. So he's like, right. it might take a little bit of time. We know about it. But what do you, what do you think of the other stuff? I'm like, hell yeah, I really wanted to play it. He's like, no, we'll get it handled. So sorry about that. I'm like, it, you know, it's okay. It's not It's not like it's a release version of the game. So I didn't get a chance to play At the Gates. Yeah, but I, I think At the Gates is a really thought-provoking game. Well, I'll talk about it more when okay, we get sure, to the games sure. I'm playing. What else did you play? So then I played a little bit of Battletech. I'm... I finished this, I think, second to last mission. So I have a last mission. I'm trying to get one more assault mech because I just, I'm, I'm one of those players that if I can go overpowered, I will. So I can do like the hardest mission in the game without taking a scratch. If that's at all possible, I'd like to do that. That's because that's how I like to play. And that's how it is. And that's that. So I'm doing that. And I played some endless uh, space to a little bit. I have, uh, so I had 100% in the game a couple of months ago. And with the release of Supremacy, I was playing it on a VIP build, so there's no achievements there really, not for this purpose. So on my regular build, I now have to like beat it with a his show, and there's a couple of new achievements because I want to 100% the game. So I did a little bit kind of doing a little recon work, and then I've been playing a whole lot of Endless Legend because Inferno like really stoked the fire, <laughs> that terminology. And I, will, I enjoy it. I like the new faction. I think NGD did an amazing job i i know not everybody likes it some you know some i've read comments oh it's cartoony whatever i like it i like the gameplay i like what they did for the game and then i remembered that i had a few things left over that i needed to do with the guar for uh from the tempest so now i'm playing that too so that of course you know now i'm sucked in <laughs> so that's it i'm stuck i'm in a good way, in the best possible way. And then, of course, I know people listening will be like, oh, man, Endless Legend, it's a horrible game. How can you like it? I don't know. I like it. I enjoy it. I love I, No, I don't like it. I love it. Accept it. Deal with it. There it is. <laughs> what about you? What have you been playing? 
Uh, well, I played some World of Tanks Blitz, as always, and, you know, this past week I did it mainly just for the fun, no grinding new tanks, no worrying about my win percentage, nothing like that, just got in tanks I enjoyed, win or lose, didn't care, just shot people and had a lot of fun, so I did that. Also, I, I played some more At the Gates, and, um, like, it's really, I think it's, like I was saying earlier, like a really thought-provoking game. I like how, you know, in the olden days, Nate. Uh, back 20 like, years ago? Or yeah, like back, thousands back 20 of years 20 or more ago. years ago, right? Okay. When, mm-hmm. when you played a terrestrial game, you'd start off with like a settler and a couple of units with it, and then you'd have to find a place to settle, right? Right. Uh, you know, right. Civ 1 and 2 were that way, I think. And Civ 6 like, is like that. Oh, is it really? Okay. Yeah. So they kind yeah. of went back to that? Good. No, no. They were doing that in Civ 5. I don't think they ever stopped. Whenever you they start ever, a they game. They never stopped? Okay. See, I quit playing Civ when they went to one unit per turn. So uh, anyhow. Per tile. Per tile. Uh, yeah. That's right. One unit per tile. Uh, Master Magic was that way. So, you know, th- it's kind of a formality, really, because you, you're going to want to plant your city as soon as you can and then start building your empire. Well, At the Gates takes that part of the game where you're kind of just set it just almost nomadic and and turns that into something fun because you know you have your starting location you have a few resources around you but you're going to exhaust those fairly quickly so you got to pick up and move and like I, I find it kind of interesting that he took a part of the game that most people didn't really think about or care much about just you know optimizing your starting location and turn that into a consequential part of the game where you're going to build up your your tribe of people which is really a conglomeration of clans and make an empire out of that once once you get that built up enough so uh i I think that's kind of cool interesting and different um but other than those two i didn't have much time for anything else in fact no i don't think i logged on to anything else at all the past week so that was it from me well you know that's how it is it's sometimes you have a lot of chance to play a lot of chances to play and other times you don't and you know you always have like your one game that you shut off your brain and you just enjoy. And then you have, because you're writing for Explorminate, you know, participating in podcasts and whatnot, you know, doing YouTube content or whatever. Then there's the games that you're doing as part of Explorminate. So if there's an overlap between those, that's a good thing. Right. Sometimes it's a distraction. I've been guilty of being distracted quite a bit. But that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier where, you know, the burnout, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay, well, I think we should wrap up the show. But as the last thing I want to say, as usual, thank you to our patrons. You're awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for those that listen to the podcast. Thank you for those that comment. We love reading them. Even if we don't always agree, we try to engage you guys and answer as best as we can to our community members. And then congrats to the winners. And as a final thing, um, each time, so we're almost at the point where it's our anniversary so we're about to celebrate the fourth anniversary of Exploring and roll into the fifth year. But uh, what we've done in the past has always been like like a group project and things like that. I'm going to do something a little bit different this time around. And I'm going to uh, like write a couple of pages talking about the state of Exploring and things like that. Kind of elaborate on the state of the state post that I made on the web, on the, on the forums. So just expect that in the next maybe two weeks I think at the, at the end of August or beginning of September, right after maybe the Labor Day weekend, that piece will be up. And I think with that, that's it. All right. Well, that sounds very interesting. Looking forward to that. We'd like to thank everybody for joining us. It's been really good having you. This is Troy and Nate for Exploreminate. 
Take care, everyone. See ya.